1: Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST site, my own website, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance, and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 31 in our series for 2022. And today's date is Friday, September the second. First, I'll be talking to videographer Adam Grisowskis from K-5 Creative. And I'll be talking to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Ulva about the profit reporting season. And now let's talk to Adam Grisowskis. Adam, uh, tell us about the work that K-Five Creative does with video and fit photos for companies.
2: Uh, So we're a business that uh, looks after small to medium enterprises and helps them expand their branding. So that may be through photography for websites and brochures and corporate material through to videos, which could be an overview of what the business does. Uh, it could be instructional or tutorial video for businesses to teach their customers and we also do some e-learning content as well so this i suppose the main focuses of our business so who would be your main customers uh probably medium-sized businesses so we've moved away from uh having a customer base where we'll do one-off sort of work. We're, we're trying to pick up more clients to do ongoing work. And, and it's hard to make that transition, but it's a, from a mindset point of view, it's a better one. You get to know the customer. Uh, you get to know what they want. You get to try new things. You get to experiment. Uh, as time goes on, the, the, the trust builds. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of why we go for that. I've been doing some work recently for Renault just a couple of the local dealerships as an alternative content to perhaps the corporate branding or corporate branded material that comes out. People are looking for more of a connection on social media. So yeah, we're, we're providing an alternative that way. So yeah. so, so which
1: sectors are you are
2: you mainly heading? I haven't niched down yet. <laughs> and that, that's something that I need to focus on as well, like where I want to niche down into. We do like e-learning. Courses aren't going away. And if uh, the recent pandemic has taught us anything is that people still want to learn and they'll just be doing it online if they can't be there on purpose. So e-learning is a great focus for us. Um, who would be your main customers there? So I've got businesses who are making transitions from uh, solo enterprises into franchising, for example. And they want to teach their franchisees how to do business their way. We've also got some childhood learning. So I suppose educational content around uh, literacy and numeracy. So they're probably what we focus on tomorrow.
1: Right. Okay. okay. Is that a growth sector?
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it, it is because people have been in lockdown for so long, especially with the childhood learning, um, you know, parents have, pulling hair out and staying at home and doing homeschooling. And uh, some parents are good teachers and some uh, <laughs> may have forgotten a little bit <laughs> since they were at school. So, yeah, there's definitely a market there for people wanting to get their kids to, to get up to scratch and not fall behind since, the, since they've been uh, homeschooled for a year or two. How
1: do you do that? How do you actually do an e-learning course on video? For kids
2: yeah so um, we do some good work with um, ABC to VCE with jo- Joanne there actually she's um, she's got a great uh, couple of learning centers where where people would actually come in and learn but also has realized you can't have everyone come into the centers and so uh, it's about just breaking down the lessons into what skills we need to teach the children so it'll be about it could be handwriting for example, So recognising the letter is one thing, writing it is another thing, staying in between the lines is another thing. So each building block of learning process builds on the previous one. And if you know what that process is, then you're you're providing a a fun and instructional way for kids to do that.
1: That, That's interesting. So, I mean, but the issue is that you've got, you're getting teachers from the learning centres to appear on the videos and do it. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah yeah
2: exactly right so you will get some short form content which is great on social media and good for getting people's interest and while that's good you probably want something more substantial uh uh, from a learning perspective so that uh you know that the children have actually not just seen the pretty things on the screen or they've just soaked it in and forgot about it but they've got exercises to um enforce learning
1: that's interesting that's interesting so I mean you're 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 based at uh, Caram Downs yep. thereabouts uh, whereabouts do you I mean do you plan to expand
2: yeah so yeah we're always expanding <laughs> making the transition now of just getting some more people on board it's uh, we've been quite small for a while and uh, the scalability in any small businesses is challenging and there comes a point when you realize that you can't do it all yourself so you know I could be talking to customers, or I could be editing video. There comes a point where you have to outsource some of the things, like the editing the video, so that you can go and find other customers that want your product. So that's where we're at at the moment. So the short answer is yes, <laughs> yes, we are expanding, but yeah, that's a challenge. Yeah. But are
1: you looking to expand geographically?
2: Yes, yeah. So uh, we already cover sort of southeast Melbourne, uh, from and that. From you know Melbourne CBD, southeast Melbourne, uh, down to the peninsula, that's pretty much where we like to operate, and we can obviously go further afield. Uh, that obviously, depend on on who the customer is and what they want to achieve.
1: But uh, I mean, obviously, something like education would be quite a niche for you that you could take anywhere. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yes, yes. So that's not the only thing we do, but yeah, yeah. Education would really go anywhere.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. So what other areas do you seek to expand it? Uh,
2: so we're doing some good commercial real estate work at the moment. So if you can imagine commercial real estate, people don't have or people want to invest but they don't always have the time to get to investment properties to have a look at them and see what see what's what and what they're getting for the money. We we can provide a walkthrough. Of the property with an agent and show show people around without them having to leave their home. It's a good way to see what investors would like to purchase. And perhaps by the time they talk to the real estate agent, they are, I would say, a warm prospect already.
1: Right, oh, okay, okay. So I would imagine uh, something like that would be quite a growth market, particularly property.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, property, yeah. I think that's Australia's second love affair uh, is is property so it's not going in a way. <laughs> it's not going anywhere.
1: yeah 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 and so so you would obviously be looking to expand that. Yes
2: yes definitely we're, we're talking with a few people at the moment to see how we can uh, keep the services regular and I suppose that's another challenge going from the to the next size business or the scaling is to have regular work with regular clients are happy with your product so um that's something we're working on now is with the with the commercial agencies and still say all right well rather than one-off prices let's give you a lower price and good quality if we can have ongoing work and you know what your output's going to be so Hmm. we're coming to those negotiations
1: but potentially too it could mean that potentially it could mean that you could expand beyond southeast melbourne
2: yes yeah yeah so, yeah, next year we're looking to do some work in America. I can't really say much more at the moment. but <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah, so we've got some contacts over there and we'll, we'll be looking to do some work over there. But, yeah, exciting times. So I can't say anything more but at, at the moment, but, yeah, that's we well, we'll update next year.
1: Well, America would be good, but also you've got other parts of Australia. I mean, you've got the Sydney property market, you've got Brisbane. Yes.
2: Yes. So uh, they're yeah, exactly right. Yeah. There's, there's a fair bit of competition in, in, uh, in real estate. So um, I wouldn't want it to be the full thing or the only thing. That sure. But um, yeah, I like to have a good product mix of a
1: few different industries. Well, Adam, it's been great talking to you and thank you very much for your time.
2: Uh, excellent thank you very much thanks for having me on
1: and now let's talk to amp capital chief economist shane oliver shane how have you found the profit reporting season so far
3: well we're now almost done in terms of the profit reports overall i'd say they've been okay you know companies have done remarkably well through what was a difficult financial year with of course lockdowns in two major states a year ago and the disruptions associated with the omicron variant earlier this year so that's a good outcome, but by the same token, the result, results weren't that fantastic. And we are seeing downgrades uh, come through for the outlook going forward. And we've also seen a loss of a distinct loss of momentum in profit growth in Australia, which is also a bit of a, a dampener. You know, the number of companies reporting increasing earnings has slowed down. And of course, that's led to a slowdown in the number of companies reporting an increase in dividends. What's been the big issues for the companies? I guess the big issues have been, well, the cost uh, situation, that costs have increased substantially, and that uh, flows from the the supply shortfalls globally and also in Australia. Obviously, a shortage of labour has been another factor within that. And I guess you know, these things happen every so often, um, but it's also combining at it, or coming at a time when there's uncertainty about the earnings outlook going forward is associated associated with the rise in interest rates. So there's a bunch of factors impacting here, uh, serving to put a bit of uncertainty about earnings growth going forward. I mean it's we did see more companies report upside surprise than downside surprise, which is a good thing, something like thirty four percent companies surprised on the upside as opposed to about 28% on the downside, but that's a little bit less than normal. Normally, we see something like 20, on my count anyway, it's normally about 40-odd percent surprise on the upside. So that that's been, that upside surprise has been less than normal. But basically, it looks like we've seen earnings growth in the last financial year of about 21.5%, which is good, but uh, that's that's down from about 30% in the previous financial year. And we've also started to see earnings downgrades for this financial year, it looks like yeah, the consensus is for earnings growth this financial year of around six and a half percent. And that's largely on the back of the impact of cost pressures, impacting margins and also higher interest rates impacting demand.
1: Which uh, has a whole lot of uh, issues moving forward for the next the next reporting season.
3: It, it certainly does. Uh, we get to see the full impact of, you know, for example, higher labour costs. I mean, a lot of companies talk about higher labour costs, but as we know with the official statistics, it's still thin on the ground in terms of wage growth. But companies tell us that uh, there is an increasing issue there and we get to see the impact of the rise in interest rates, which only kicked in at the end of the last financial year, starting in May. So those things um, will become more evident in the current half. And obviously, that's something share markets are still grappling with, just globally and in Australia, that the interest rate hikes are yet to fully show up. And the question is, the question is whether we're going to see a decline in earnings or whether we'll just see a slowing in earnings growth. So far, the consensus is just assuming a slowing in earnings growth. But of course, we know that analysts tend to be a bit optimistic.
1: Okay, So we really don't. So the issue is the uncertainty. Yeah. In the market.
3: yeah, there is a degree of uncertainty. That's why you're seeing this volatility, and that's been a feature for much of this calendar year. Uh, obviously, markets have come down, and then you get these big rallies, and then, of course, uh, quite volatile days, uh, like we've seen in the last week, for example, uh, uh, in relation to uncertainty around what the Fed's going to do. So that, that volatility will probably continue for a while yet until some of these issues are resolved. You know, the relatively calm trading of 2021 is well and truly behind us. We've entered into a more difficult stage in the cycle where investors are unsure about well how high interest rates will go, but more importantly now, how seri- serious the slowdown will be, whether there will be a recession, and more importantly, whether that leads to a slump in profits My personal view is that we can avoid a recession, that there are signs globally uh, that we're reaching peak inflation momentum in the US and that will start to slow down and that will take pressure off. But it will take a while before that becomes fully evident and it will take a while before central banks can actually uh, start cutting interest rates. And in the meantime, we're going to see more rate hikes. Historically, Australia does have a better track record of avoiding recession after tightening cycles and we've had multiple interest rate tightening cycles in the last 30 years and managed to avoid a recession um of course we didn't have a recession until we got to the pandemic which is a slightly different situation but we've had a better track record than the U.S. has of managing to avoid recession uh, as a result of interest rate tightening cycles. But obviously that uncertainty is there and that's going to result in a volatile ride for a little while. But we're also in a seasonally weak period of the year. This uh, time frame, August, September, particularly into October, is known for volatility in markets. So I suspect we'll probably see a bit more of that. I, I, and then I think we'll see some sort of decent rally getting underway later this year. But uh, we've obviously got a fair way to get to that point.
1: Well, the Fed certainly... uh, it will keep increasing the rates.
3: That's right. The message from the Fed is that there's more work to do, that they can't stop yet, that there's (laughs) dangers in prematurely easing historically when you've got an inflation problem and that this is going to involve some pain in terms of economic impact. So therefore, they're risking a recession. Other central banks are sending a similar message. So that's telling us, yes, more rate hikes to come, more pain ahead. By the same token, you know, there will come a time when the central banks will say, well, we've done enough, and that they will start to ease up. And I think before a year end, we'll start to see some signs of that, even though we're not going to see rate cuts till later next year. But I think we'll start to see some signs that, that central banks will start to slow the pace of tightening, which will come as a relief to markets. But you know, obviously, we've got a fair way to go to that point. I mean, at the, at the moment, central banks, are in a difficult uh, position if they don't do anything and go slack then yeah maybe we avoid a recession or a severe recession but we end up with a bigger inflation problem which the 1970s tells us if you let that happen you end up with a worst problem down the track. By the same token, if they go hard and get inflation under control and we have a recession, then everyone will say, well, you caused a recession and we didn't have an inflation. So we've got inflation under control, but people won't know the counterfactual, which would have been if the, if the central banks had gone easier. So it's a, a difficult uh, balancing act for the central banks. Either way, they're going to cop it in terms of a lot of public criticism. But by the same token, you know the experience of the 1970s tells us yeah. You know, Priority. he has to be to get inflation under control. If they don't get it under control, end up with far worse outcomes in terms of economic growth and unemployment. And, uh,
1: in terms of the RBA, you see the uh, the, the markets seem to say rates will peak at about three point three percent and come down next year.
3: That, that's right. The money markets are still suggesting significant more rate hikes ahead. In fact, yeah, these numbers bounce around a lot. <laughs> in fact, February this was as of Friday, Saturday morning. The market was looking for a peak in the cash rate in Australia at three point six percent. Uh, The consensus of economists is around 335 I think, percent. Uh, Some are as high as 3.6%, so that's suggesting there's quite a lot to go further in terms of rate hike. We're not that negative. We think there are already signs of slowing in the economy. Consumer confidence is down. There's a loss of momentum in credit and debit card spending. Um, Housing market is obviously slowing quite rapidly, and that will take pressure off the Reserve Bank later this year and enable the cash rate to peak out at around with a two in front of it rather than a three in front of it but obviously again we've got a fair way to go to that point and that that uncertainty will continue for a while yet that's why I think this will just be something that weighs on markets over the next few months we've got another RBA interest rate meeting coming up in the next week and I suspect we'll see another significant move by the RBA base cases they'll go by 0.5 percent but there is a strong argument they should do 0.25%, so I think that's a close call. A good compromise would be to do 0.4%, and that would return the cash rate to a more normal number as opposed to these odd numbers that uh, we've been running with lately, given the funny starting point. But, uh, you know, obviously interest rates are going to remain a focus for a while yet.
1: Right, OK, and people are very concerned about it, but uh, then again we are coming up a very low base of 0.1%. And, you know, the average over the last few years was
3: about 7%. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, we had seen uh, interest rates fall steadily over the last 30 years with occasional upswings, very brief uh, upswings. The most recent uh, prior to the current was in 2009-2010. and It was a steady downtrend until we got to that 0.1% cash rate. So now we're coming from a very low base. There's been a lot of money pumped into the economy, both in terms of fiscal stimulus through the pandemic, fiscal support through the pandemic and ultra-easy money and uh, quantitative easing. And now that's uh, that's being normalised. But obviously, house prices and household debt have moved up to adjust to those very low interest rates. A year ago, you could have got a mortgage, 80 months ago, you could have got a mortgage for 2% for three years. Uh, Those deals are now a thing of the past. And that is now resulting in an adjustment back the other way in the property market, that uh, new buyers can't borrow as much as they could Uh, Therefore, existing prices can't be supported at these levels and therefore prices are adjusting down and we get to see the impact on existing borrowers. Hopefully they can continue to service their loans. Most of them will. But there will be some who will think, well, this is becoming a bit of a problem. I'll sell my house. um, as That could lead to a bit of a pick-up in selling. Um, as well in the year ahead, particularly next year as we hit what is called the fixed rate mortgage glyph. That's when a lot of people come off fixed rate deals around 2% and find themselves on fixed rate deals around 5% or variable rates even higher than that. So obviously, uh, these things will impact growth in the economy and, and also point to further declines in house prices for the time being.
1: Well, Shane, that's all been quite fascinating and thank you very much for your time.
3: My pleasure, Leon. All the best. So what's happening in the news
1: while well, central bankers face a more challenging economic landscape than they have experienced in decades and will find it harder to root out high inflation, top multilateral officials and monetary policy makers have warned. The world's leading economic authorities this weekend sounded the alarm about the forces working against the Federal Reserve, European central banks and other central banks as they combat the worst inflation in decades. Speaking at the annual gathering of central bankers in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, many said that the global economy was entering a new and tougher era, At least over the next five years, monetary policymaking is going to be much more challenging than than it was in the two decades before the pandemic struck. Gita Gopinath, the IMF's Deputy Managing Director, told the Financial Times, we're in an environment where supply shocks are going to be more volatile than we've been used to and that's going to generate more costly trade-offs for monetary policy, she said. The pace of price growth has rocketed as supply chain disruptions from COVID-19 lockdowns collided with high consumer demand fueled by unprecedented fiscal and monetary support since the start of the pandemic. Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine delivered a series of commodity shocks that created yet more supply constraints and price increases. These dynamics have forced central banks to aggressively tighten monetary policy to ensure inflation does not become more deeply embedded in the global economy. But given their limited capacity to address supply-related issues, many fear they will be forced to deliver much more economic pain than in the past in order to restore price stability. David Malpass, president of the World Bank, warned that central banks' tools, especially in advanced economies... Are ill suited to address the supply related inflationary pressures that are driving a significant portion of the recent inflation surge. The rate hikes are having to compete with lots of friction within the economy, so I think that's the biggest challenge that they face. He said You're hiking rates in the hope of reducing inflation, but it's been counteracted by so much friction within the supply chain and production cycle. Key figures at both the Fed and ECB made unconditional pledges to restore price stability. Jay Powell, Fed Chair on Friday, warned that as a result, a sustained period of slow growth and a weakening of the labour market were likely. And big business and unions are seeking to negotiate a statement of agreed principles for workplace relations reform ahead of the job summit as the Albanese government leaves open the door to simplifying the legal tests used to prove enterprise agreements. The Business Council of Australia and the Australian Council of Trade Unions have been holding discussions on a proposed statement of agreed principles that if finalised could be released before the summit starts on Thursday. The talks follow a groundbreaking agreement between the ACTU and the Council of Small Business Organisations Australia to support multi-employer bargaining and a simpler, better-off overall test for approving pay deals that could ultimately apply across the rest of the workforce. The proposed statement of principles by the ACTU and the BCA was focused on having a simple and fair workplace relations system. And retail spending jumped in July as Australians spent more in shops and cafes despite a national cost of living crisis and a looming hit to indebted households from rapidly rising interest rates. New figures from the Australian Bureau of Statistics show retail sales snapped a three-month deceleration to lift by 1.3% last month to 34.7 billion, or 17% higher than a year earlier. And ANZ Roy Morgan consumer confidence was down slightly by 0.6 points to 85 this week and is now 16.8 points below the same week a year ago. In addition, consumer confidence is now 6.3 points below the 2022 weekly average of 91.3. And global tech giants, including Apple and Facebook, have been ordered to show Australian authorities what they're actually doing to stop child abuse on their platforms or risk daily fines. Australia's eSafety Commissioner has issued legal notices to Apple, Meta, the parent company of WhatsApp, Facebook and Instagram, Microsoft, including its Skype platform, Snap and Omegle. The move is under the Online Safety Act 2021 and requires the companies to report on how they are tackling the proliferation of child sexual exploitation material. The Act, described as a world-leading tool by eSafety Commissioner Julie Inman-Grant, has basic online safety expectations setting out minimum requirements for tech companies that wish to operate in Australia. And the global cyber threat environment has intensified and Australia is an increasingly attractive target for malicious actors and cyber criminals, according to a new report. The alert comes from the Cybersecurity Industry Advisory Committee in its annual report 2022. At the same time, geopolitical tensions have grown following Russia's attack on Ukraine and the risk of attacks on Australian networks, whether directly or inadvertently, has also increased. It is believed Australian SMEs lost more than $81 million to BEC in 2021 financial year, and alarmingly, there was a 15% increase in the number of ransomware cybercrime reports to the ACSC. And Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is holding the line on keeping the legislative stage 3 income tax cuts amid confirmation there's sufficient support in the Senate to abolish them. The Greens released new costings to buttress their claim the money could be better used elsewhere, were joined by ACT Senator David Pocock in calling for their abolition. And Liberal MP Russell Broadband has called on the Albanese government to bite the bullet and dropped through Stage 3 tax cuts legislated under the Coalition. Broadbent says the tax cuts send the wrong message at the time when many Australians are doing it tough, and the money could be better used for things like social housing and defence. Labor supported the legislation for the tax cuts after the 2019 election, but it argued only because they were tied to the Stage 2 tax cuts for lower middle income earners, which began on the 1st of July 2020. Updated costings prepared for the Greens by the Parliamentary Budget Office show the tax cuts would cost $243.5 billion over 10 years, of which one hundred eighty eight billion, or seventy seven percent of the benefit, would go to the top twenty percent of owners. This is a consequence of Australia's progressive tax system, but Green's leader Adam Ban said the whole package should be scrapped, even for those on the lowest incomes the richest 1% of Australians will get as much benefit from the Stage 3 tax cuts as the poorest 65% combined, new Parliamentary Budget Office analysis has projected, heaping more pressure on the Albanese government to rethink its commitment to the controversial $243 billion reform plan. Analysis from the Independent Parliamentary Budgetary Office, commissioned by the Greens and released by Bant's Office, forecasts men would take home nearly two-thirds of the benefit of a Stage 3 tax plan between 2024-25 and 2032-33, the tax cuts, which will cost two hundred forty three point five billion over that period, would see one hundred sixty point six billion flow to men and eighty two point nine billion to women. Labor has come under pressure to revise a tax plan, with economists warning that it, it would make the tax system far less progressive. The changes would abolish the thirty seven per cent tax bracket, lower the thirty five per cent bracket to thirty two point five per cent, and increase the top tax brackets to start at two hundred thousand dollars compared with one hundred eighty thousand dollars now. And a jump in business insolvencies as rates rise and creditors more aggressively pursue debts will trigger a spike in illegal phoenix activity, where directors set up new entities to avoid debts. That's the view of insolvency practitioners who are bracing for more business collapses given pandemic support has been withdrawn and the Australian Taxation Office has intensified its debt collection activities in the past three months. SV Partners Executive Director Michael Carafa said he expected a steady rise in business insolvencies over the next two to three years as the economy slowed and the threat of recession loomed. Mr Carafa said potentially thousands of businesses could be probed by regulators and the courts over illegal Phoenix activity over coming years, as some struggling companies took an unlawful route in an attempt to survive. Phoenix companies generally arise from the ashes of a defunct entity and leave behind outstanding debts to tax authorities, creditors, customers and employees. They can also involve the shifting or selling of assets from a debt-laden company to a new entity in an attempt to avoid paying liabilities and continued trading. As the pandemic gripped Australia in 2020, there was a moratorium on creditors pursuing debts, and even last year... There a few companies' collapses as stimulus measures continue. King & Wood Mallison's National Restructuring and Insolvency Practice boss, Tim Kleinberg, said many directors who took risks during the COVID-19 cycle had a lot to answer for. And Alassane co-chief executive, Scott Farquhar, has laid out plans to hire more than 1,000 technology professionals across Australia and New Zealand over the next 12 months, defying the market downturn at a time when other tech companies are initiating hiring freezes or laying off staff. The Sydney-based company, which Mr Farquhar co-founded with fellow tech billionaire Mark Canon Brooks in 2002, is confident that its Team Anywhere approach, employees can work from anywhere and only need to attend their nearest office four times a year, will give it an advantage when it comes to hiring. The plans come ahead of this week's Job and Skills Summit, which Mr Farquhar is attending and a pledge by the Labor Government to deliver 1.2 million tech jobs by 2030. Mr Farquhar said more than half of Atlassian's workforce live more than two hours away from one of its offices a number he expected to grow. Over the next year, Atlassian would hire 1,032 R&D professionals, which would come from universities, banks and layoffs from other tech companies, he said. The 1,032 number is a nod to the global financial crisis of 2008 and 2009, when Atlassian hired 32 engineers. It is now hiring 1,000 more than that, reflecting the Sydney company's growth. The company produces software that teams use to collaborate and work on projects. And Fortescue Metals' new clean energy boss, Mark Hutchinson, says the geopolitical ructions of the past year will accelerate the energy transition and the company should be selling green hydrogen within three years, with first exports of the flammable gas likely to come from Queensland. FFI is exploring myriad projects across renewable energy generation, the manufacturing of clean energy components and emissions-free equipment, but its biggest focus is is a goal of producing 15 million tonnes of carbon-free green hydrogen by 2030. Seaborne trade of hydrogen as a a discrete product effectively does not yet occur anywhere in the world. But Dr Hutchinson said Fortescue's 2030 goal was absolutely doable, and Queensland will likely host the company's first exports of the commodity. Tasmania's Bell Bay was expected to be Fortescue's first green hydrogen export hub by using renewably powered electrolysers to split water into its constituent parts oxygen, and hydrogen. And the profit reporting season continues. Michael Hill's operating revenue increased by 7% to $595.2 million, while comparable EBIT rose 11.1% to $62.9 million. Group growth's margin increased by 200 basis points to 64.7%. A2Milk's revenue for FY22 increased by 19.8% to New Zealand $1.4 billion. EBITDA rose 59% to New Zealand $196.2 million. Silver Lake Resources has reported EBITDA of $267.6 million for the year ended June 30, with an EBITDA margin of 42%. Liberty's net profit rose 18% to $219.3 million, or 2% to $231.1 million. Northern Star Resources' underlying net profit after tax was $273 million, down 27% on the prior year. Statutory net profit fell 58% to $430 million. Next DC's 2022 underlying EBITDA result of $169 million was up 26%. Aussie Broadband's revenue in 2021 twenty two rose fifty six percent to five hundred and forty six point nine million. Ebada more than doubled to thirty nine point four million, and it earned a net profit of fifty five point three million from a loss of four point five million in two thousand twenty-twenty one. Remellius Resources has reported an underlying net profit after tax of seventy three million for the year ended June 30, down 40% on the prior year. Adore Beauty's gross profit was $66.5 million, up from $59.3 million in FY21. Property services group jones Sling ebita increased 58.9% to $83.6 million, and profit after tax rose 35%, twenty five point one million la visa 's gross profit increased sixty three point eight percent to three hundred and sixty one point eight million and gross margin was seventy eight point nine million even increased eighty six point six million to seventy nine point seven million dollars mineral resources statutory net profit after tax was three hundred and fifty one million down seventy two percent on the previous corresponding period and revenue fell eight percent to $22.4 billion. Operating cash flow was $344 million. Funeral operator InvoCare has posted a net loss of $44.3 million for the six months to June 30 after booking $56.4 million accounting loss on the value of prepaid funeral contracts. Fortescue posted its second biggest profit worth $6.19 billion. That's $9 billion Aussie. Online voice communications business Symbio has posted an adjusted net profit of $14.4 million on FY22 versus $15.9 in the prior year. Tyro Payments has reported normalised EBITDA of $10.7 million for FY22, down from $14.2 in the prior year. Dalrymple Bay Infrastructure has reported net profit after tax of $6.6 million for the half-year ended June 30, down from $113.2 in the prior corresponding period. Waypoint's REIT statutory net profit for the half-year was $213.8 million, compared with $251.9 in the prior corresponding period. Online book retailer Booktopia has narrowed its FY2022 net loss to $15.1 million on sales up 7.5% to $240.8 million. Skip capital takeover target GenX Power has narrowed its FY2022 net loss to 44.1 million on revenue up 26% to $27.2 million. Auswai Bank has reported a statutory net profit after tax of $26.1 million for the full year end of June 30 up 8.2% on the prior year. Sandfire Resources posted a net profit of $111.4 million in FY22 down from $128.6 million the year before. Gold Road Resources earned record EBITDA of 100 million and improved free cash flow of 44.6 million for the half. IGO posted a 34% jump in FY22 revenue to 903 million from the year prior and record underlying earnings of 717 million, up 51%. Software business Bravura Solutions has posted a 13.4% in full-year net profit, 13.4% increase in full-year net profit to 29.9 million dollars. Links' net loss after tax improved to 67.6 million in FY22, up from 100. $162.7 million in FY21. Buffs Australia's gross revenue more than doubled to a record $104.3 million in FY22, generating earnings of $4.8 million. Online luxury goods retailer Setire has widened its debt loss FY2022 to $19.1 million on revenue up 127% to $209.9 million. Woodside's net profit for the half was US $1.64 billion from US $317 million or US $1.82 billion on an underlying net profit basis up from US $344 million. is more than doubled its underlying full-year net profit to $309.3 million. Best and Less Group reported a 2022 net profit down 13% to $41.1 million and revenue down 66.2% to $622.2 million. The Future Fund posted a negative 3.1% return for the three months to June 30, 2022 and a negative 1.2% return over the financial year. Automotive aftermarket business RPM Global has increased its net profit 13% to $2.8 million on sales up 75% to $78.8 million for FY. 22. atlas aira's interim net profits almost trebled to 117.1 million travel operator hello world has narrowed its FY 2020, 2022 net loss from continuing operations to 28.8 million versus 39.5 million on the prior year Points, bets, nest loss deepened to 268 million in fy 22 from 188 million fy 21 the asx listed bookmaker declared an overall evident loss of 250 million dollars saint barbara has posted a saturated loss after tax of 161 million for the 2022 financial year and improvement from the 177 million loss posted in FY21. Atlas reported a statutory net profit after tax of 117.1 million for the half, up from 41.2 million in the previous corresponding period. Mesoblasts has revealed its losses in FY22 reached $91.3 million to take accumulated losses since its inception to $738.9 million. It reported revenue of $10.2 million for the FY22. Gold miner pursues profit-after-tax jumped more than 100% to $280 million, while revenue rose 66% to $1.1 billion. Webjet expects cash surplus from operations to exceed $100 million in the first half of FY23, the period ending... In September. And Harvey Norman reported a 3.6% drop in net profit after tax for 2022, hitting 811.5 million. Earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization were 1.4% lower at 1.44 billion. And that's it for this week. And next week, I'll be talking to Peter Dasos, the general manager of Franklin.ai. And we'll be talking about the role that artificial intelligence plays in the health sector. And I'll be talking to ComSec chief economist Craig James about what's ahead in the market. In the meantime, you catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week. And looking forward to bringing you talking business next week.
0: Hey, folks, I'm Mark Maron from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues